today is Psalm 122 and verse number 1. Psalm 122, verse number 1. There'll be Bibles there in the chair back in front of you as well as on the screen. The verses will appear. Psalm 122 and verse number 1. Those who are able, if you'll stand at this time for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 122 and verse 1. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this uh, great day that we've had in church. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come and fellowship together and worship you and hear your word preached. Pray you just use our pastor tonight as he preaches. Uh, help us have open hearts. Apply your message to our hearts. Thank you for loving us. In your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. That's Psalm 122, verse 1, and uh, we'll spring from that and uh, cover several things along the way, but I want to speak on, uh, in fact, it's a, a new series, and I, I think it'll probably, uh, here, where's, uh, where's our guy, what was his name again? Wobbly Boots. Uh, where's he at? Where's he at? Were those women's boots? I got to know. I, I, I just got to know. What? Okay, we, all right, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> we, we don't need to know where he shops. We, I was just, just an honest question. I was looking at those things, and I really wasn't curious if they had any of my size. But uh, anyway, I appreciate uh, the work that goes into that and... and uh, um, they always do a good job, and I appreciate Amanda's help with that, and Garrett's as well. Um, some uh, very, very good times with VBS and the skits that they do each night. Uh, winning at what matters most. <coughs> uh, let's pray. We'll jump right in. Lord, help us, guide, and direct our words and our thoughts. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, do that which only you can, and we pray that you'd speak to us. Um, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Damien, what was the title of that song? When He Speaks. As you know, every time you come to church, He wants to speak to you, every time. Um, you know, it's not like we show up and God is, is surprised you were here and like, oh, I didn't know, I didn't, didn't know you were coming, I don't really have anything for you and everything's good, so you just have to kind of sit here and endure it. Now, sometimes we feel that when we go to church, but God always has something for you, and I would encourage you to always approach church that way. Um, the Bible mentions, I think it's a book of Ecclesiastes when it talks about, um, be thou ready to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, and talking about what we do in the presence of God, the house of the Lord. And uh, sometimes we don't hear the Lord speaking because we're too busy talking. And by talking, I don't mean necessarily out loud, having a, an audible conversation with the Lord, but we have everything already figured out. And so there's really no opportunity for God to speak. I've mentioned it this way. Are you guys feeling comfortable now? I feel the air really cranking. Is it feeling good? How many of you are cold? How many of you are hot? How many of you are just right? Okay, it's like Goldilocks here from the three bears. But uh, anyway, I think it feels much better, so thank you, Robert, and whoever helped take care of it, thank you as well. Um, 
But uh, getting back to that particular thought, you know, uh, when we come, many times we, we know exactly what we want to do in life. We know how we want to live, how we want to dress, how we want to govern our affairs. And most of the time, it's, we live our lives in such a way, it's, Lord, I'm saved. Thank you for saving me. I got it from here. And if I have any trouble, I'll let you know. And we live our lives as Christians, the average Christian does, very independent from God. Um, and you don't want to live that way because uh, God wants to be engaged and involved in every aspect of our lives. Um, what we're going to talk about uh, tonight is winning at what matters most. And there's the images of, of folks running there. And of course, uh, the Bible talks about our life being a race, and particularly the Christian life. Um, the Bible says, run that ye may obtain. The Bible says, one receives the price. The Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And the reason is because we got these things in life that hold us down. Now, in the passage of Scripture that Andy led us in reading tonight from David, and we chose David for a lot of reasons. He's, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, and I, I appreciate uh, the, the life of David. But he's the only one that God said was a man after his own heart. And we know that really... Uh, uh, as we look at what, uh, what really matters to God, and we know, well, we know a number of things. We know that you matter. We know that mankind matters, each and every one of us, no matter what your, uh, you know, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your language, whatever your education background, or whatever your financial situation, whatever it is, God loves each and every one of us. And, and if you were the only one, He would have came for you. There's no question about that, because we're the very reason He came, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we know you matter. We know that His Word matters. He says He exalted it above His very name. We know uh, the song that Alex led us in singing tonight, um, Your Great Name. What is it, was the name of it? Your Name. Um, and we know what the Lord said about His name. It is the only name given among Men whereby you must be saved, and that's the name Jesus Christ. So we know those are things that matter. David here in this particular passage of Scripture says, I was glad when they said unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. So we know that church matters. Church was God's idea. It never was man's. Um, We typically think of more reasons to get out of church than to come to church. But in this day where our culture is becoming more and more secular and less and less Christian all the time, to the point where even sometimes, sometimes our country today says we're not really a Christian nation. Now, we may not act like it, and there may be some questions about it in our minds from time to time, but truth of the matter is this country was founded very indeed on, very much indeed, on biblical principles. Um, you, you go to uh, anything you read in our nation's history, you go to Washington, D.C., even though a lot of places they try to tear down any, any uh, semblance of Christianity and destroying the faith, but even looking at a lot of the buildings that are more than 100 years old, some of them 200 years old, you'll see the engravings and etchings, and many times it'll be filled with Scripture. Um, I saw recently where, and I think this was in the South, but some people had, uh, which is typically a little more um, friendly to faith, and uh, there was a a memorial to fallen police officers, 
and engraved was a, a prayer, and, and I, I, I think I understood it to say that this is the prayer for fallen police officers, and it begins by Lord, and it goes on, and, but three times in the prayer, it mentions the word Lord, but someone complained and said, you know, that shouldn't be in there, and so the city went and removed Lord in those three places from that memorial to fallen police officers because it offended somebody, and uh, you know, I, I'm not about being politically correct. You know that. I think it's more important to be biblically correct. But we see ever and ever in our culture a drive to not just try to separate us, but a drive to eliminate our faith. And that's really what is, what is at stake there. But I, I'm not preaching on that tonight. What I'd like to speak on is, is winning at what matters most. And I think really what I want to talk about first is the Lord's house. And what church means to God. And, uh, and so with the Lord's help, that's where we want to start right now. And I'm going to throw a few verses up here. We'll share a few thoughts. And this is from First Chronicles uh, chapter 29 and verse 3. Normally in your Bible reading, you get over to, um, well, usually um, by Leviticus, where if you're trying to read through the Bible in a given amount of time, normally uh, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus is pretty cool, right? I mean, you're, you're, you know, you got the plagues. I mean, that's awesome. You know, you got the Red Sea and all of that. But you start getting over into uh, the book of Leviticus, and people kind of get stumbled. And then sometimes as you get over into Chronicles, and those who read it just with a cursory glance, they talk about Chronicles is begat and begat and begat. You do have several chapters like that. But you also have some verses that are rich. And uh, uh, not that those are not, but this one in particular, notice 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3 on the screen. More because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Now, the Bible's talking about, particularly about Solomon and others who were setting aside and laying aside for the house of God, David as well. David, in fact, stored up uh, much for the house of God. So the first thing that we observe about church is it is a proper place for us to have our possessions. Our world is all about getting all you can, canning all you get, and laying up treasures down here. But the, but the Bible is totally opposite of that. Now, it doesn't mean that you take a vow of poverty. That's nowhere found in Scripture. But it does say that you ought to lay up treasures somewhere else, and that's in the Lord's kingdom. We mentioned this morning, for instance, um, talking to uh, Dennis Lagos, our missionary in the Philippines, one of our missionaries over there. We have a couple, but, but he was talking about the, those proclaimed devices and how effective they have been. And he was sharing with me how amazing it is to be traveling into a village uh, in his truck, and as he's approaching the village, he's hearing the, the uh, New Testament being played over a loudspeaker because the citizens of that village or the mayor of that village has agreed to allow that to be played they don't have access to a lot of things, and, uh, but they have that, and so you're hearing it play. Now, that's an investment for everybody that's ever put anything into our missions, particularly some of you actually wanted to buy those things, and, and you wanted that to be a part of your designated offering, and certainly we have more of those to get for him and any others like that. But understand this, church has always been a proper place for our possessions because we want to send more to the other side than we do to this side. Uh, it, but we have, we, that goes totally against the grain because we want to, one, we want to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with those things. 
we want to live in a nice place, drive a nice car, and have nice clothes, and take nice trips, and all those things. Nothing wrong with any of that. But when those things become the focus, uh, we miss out on what God says. And you're looking at some of the, you, you look at this passage, particularly from First Chronicles, as you're dealing with some of the kings in the nation of Israel. And as you come to certain ones, when they uh, did that which was pleasing unto the Lord and those who followed after them, one of the things is you, you find that they made it a, a huge point of emphasis in their life that they wanted to dedicate a huge chunk of their possessions to the Lord. I mentioned, I think I mentioned it in here um, about uh, David Green from uh, Hobby Lobby and how in his, I think the title of the book is Giving It All Away and Getting It Back Again. I think, I think that's the correct title. But he, he was mentioning that one of, the best day of the week for them that when they have their office meetings is Wednesday. And the reason is every Wednesday they give away millions of dollars. And they, they give them away to organizations that, first of all, have the, the Great Commission as their core, core point of emphasis. And so they, they, uh, their board meets, and uh, he, along with uh, several other people in the company, not all family members, but they meet on Wednesday, and they make these recommendations. We want to give to this mission group, or we want to give to this um, orphanage in Africa or whatever. And they make their recommendations, and then they vote on them. And they decide which ones get these grants, and typically the, the donation they make to them is usually a quarter million dollars, $250,000 to those. And they do that every single week. And by the way, that's a good reason to support Hobby Lobby. I mean, really, because if you want somebody that's wanting to say, I want the Great Commission to be at the core of where I put my money, that, that's not far from uh, the church. And, I, the, you know, if you don't like Hobby Lobby, that's okay. You know, I've got, I got plenty of picture frames and all that kind of stuff, too. You know, it's, it, it's great. But a guy that wears those boots, maybe, I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, but the idea is, here's a guy who says, I, I realize, man, I'm, I'm not taking anything with me. Uh, I'm not, uh, I don't have any guarantee that it's going to be safe and secure down here because the Word of God says, here, moth you know, and, and uh, corrupts it, and, and dust, and thieves break through and steal, and, and we have all those different kinds of things that we worry about, but the Lord says, hey, lay it up, send it to the other side where none, none of those things happen. So one thing we see clearly about the house of God, it's a pl- proper place uh, for our possessions. Then the second thing I want you to notice, the Bible says Psalm 23. Again, probably one of the most familiar Psalms, Psalm 23, verse number 6, surely goodness and Mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, these two things kind of go hand in hand. Everybody wants goodness, and everybody wants mercy. But he draws the connection here in the sixth verse, and this is David again talking about the prominence, the importance of church in his life. And he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A lot of times people say, well, that is a reference to eternity. And I think the application is very clear there. But I also think it's for David, he's saying, hey, church is what really matters to me. The house of God is what really matters to me. The parallel passage that we read at the outset, Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So the first thing we see is it's a proper place for our possessions. Second thing we see, it's a proper place for God's blessing. Now, I don't think you ought to come to church specifically to receive God's blessing. But I do know that it is a step of obedience, and obedient people garner God's favor, garner God's blessing. If I asked you tonight, everybody in here would say, well, I want the Lord's hand upon my life. I want God's favor. I, I wanna, when, I, when I pray, I don't want to go through the routine. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to just say, you know, oh, Lord, thank you for this food. I don't, I don't want to be part of something that I just do because I do it. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? I, I don't want it to be just some ritualistic prayer. And, and I realize we talk about the Lord's Prayer when the disciples said, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and, and many people can quote the Lord's Prayer. And I understand all that. But I don't want my praying to be just words. I really want it to be connecting with God. I, I really want God to listen now, I know the, the song, when, when he speaks, and I want God to speak to me, but boy, I, I really want to know that when I'm talking to God that uh, I have his attention. I really want him to know, I really want to know in my heart that when I'm praying, God hears me. I, I don't want it to be in a, I don't want to go through a valley of silence in my life where I wonder and I'm, I'm frustrated and I, I, be, I become doubtful and I, I'm wondering what's going on, is he even listening, does he even hear me? But I guarantee you, if you remain in the house of God, it's a place of God's favor and God's blessing. David said this kind of connected there in the 23rd Psalm, the 6th verse. He said, listen, I want those two things with me, and that's goodness and mercy. He said, and they are with me. And one of the connections is being within the house of God. I don't think it means that if I stay in church, I'm never going to have a problem. But it does mean I'm going to have God's favor. Every, we could start from the platform and go the, all the way back and talk to every person in here, and everybody has problems. A man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Uh, you know, I've, uh, I was, I've shared this in my, uh, our connection group this morning, and uh, uh, there's a guy that uh, was in school with my wife and I, and uh, um, he's pa- he was pastoring not far from the camp that we were at there in Virginia, and just a few months ago, he um, he told his wife he was, he was having trouble hearing, so he, he went in to see the doctor, got a hearing aid, and, and uh, seemed to help a little bit. And a month or two went by, and he was having some trouble seeing. And so she said, well, you need to get your prescription checked. And then he went in in April, and they said, you've got a brain tumor, and your, your cancer has metastasized, and you have a very short time to live. And he was, he was you know, close to, close to our age, and he... Uh, he passed away uh, Saturday night, um, uh, not this Saturday, but the Saturday before, while we were there in North Carolina. I didn't even know the guy was sick. Um, and, you know, boy, I'll tell you, when, when those things happen, you know, sometimes you scratch your head and you think, why him? You know? I mean, have you ever thought that about, you know, good people? And, of course, then who am I to say who's good and who's not? But sometimes we make the statement. We say, man, that guy was just serving the Lord. That guy was, you know, the missionary that uh, uh, was over in Cameroon, uh, I think it was, what, a year and a half ago, and on his first week there, uh, you know, he's caught in a crossfire, and his life was, was taken. Um, just, just unbelievable things. And so sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, if God is involved and engaged in our life, then why does, why does bad things happen? Why does trouble still happen? People still get sick. People still have difficulties. People still lose finances. Things happen. I mean, it just, it's just part of the natural course of life. But I don't want to go it alone. I don't just kind of wing it. I want to make sure that I have the Lord's favor and blessing in my life. I, I love the story of uh, Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was born in 1917 in Torrance, California. And his, he was a first-generation American. His family had immigrated from Italy. And... Uh, he had a propensity for getting into mischief and was always kind of in trouble. One of the things about Louis Zamperini is he was, he was known for his speed. And so 
He started running with a group of guys when he was a young teenager who, uh, who knew that if he was the guy who was the thief, he could get away before a proprietor could catch him. And so many times he'd run into a store or hit a cart or a stand that was on the side of the road, and he could steal whatever he wanted to steal, and nobody could catch him. And uh, that was Louie. He was, he was known as the Flash, man. He was just quick on his feet. And he had an older brother named Pete um, because one time the police officer showed up at Louie's home and, and spoke to his dad and said, listen, this has got to stop with, uh, with young Louie. And if he doesn't stop, he said he's going to wind up, we're going to take him. He may wind up in a, a boy's home or something like that. And so Pete, his older brother, he always told me, he said, Louie, he said, you can do anything. He said, why don't you take that speed and put it to good use? And so he started running track. And he ran track for Torrance High School. And uh, man, quickly, boy, he, uh, he became a celebrated athlete and, and was victorious. And uh, people just loved to watch him run. He was smashing school records, state records. And by the time he was a senior in high school, he was considered the fastest high schooler in the entire United States. Because of that, Louie wound up getting a track scholarship to USC, running for the University of Southern California Trojans. In fact, the, there at the USC Coliseum, the inner courtyard there is named after Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini, man, he starts training, he goes to college, wins nationals, and then uh, when he's 19 years of age, he qualifies for the Olympics. And he's so excited, he's thinking, this is it, man, I'm gonna, I'm, this is what I've been running for and chasing after. And in 1936, he, uh, he boards a, a vessel, and it's the first time he'd ever traveled outside of California very much, but he takes a train to the East Coast, gets on a boat, and boy, they treat all these Olympic athletes, man, just splurge on them. And he had never, he was always, he grew up poor, so he had never uh, feasted like this, but on the vessel, they told him they could eat whatever they want. And so for 15 days, he said he ate like a king, but he gained almost 20 pounds. Not what you want to do when you're training for the Olympics and you're heading over to the Olympic Games. As a result of that, he had been a favorite to win, but he didn't. In fact, uh, with one lap to go in his event at the Olympics in the 1936 Games were held in Berlin, Germany at the time of the rising of the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler and so forth. Adolf Hitler was in attendance at this event, and uh, Louis Zamperini was in last place, and on the last lap, he passed most of the crowd and wound up, I think he finished fifth in that particular race. Adolf Hitler was so impressed that he, that he said he wanted to meet him after the race, and Louis Zamperini had, uh, had uh, came down and he met him, and Adolf Hitler introduced himself, and they greeted one another, and he said, you're the boy with the fast finish. And it was kind of a statement that stuck with Louis Zamperini for the balance of his life. Louis Zamperini, man, he thought, uh, boy, I'm going to come back in 1940 and, and I'm going to win this time. I won't, I won't fall to, you know, eating like a, a, a king and all that type of thing. And so he continued training. Well, about that time, war breaks out across, you know, the Eastern Front and in the Pacific as well. And then, you know, the story, 1941, we get drawn into World War II. Right after we were drawn into World War II, um, Louis Zamperini enlisted in the Air Force, and he became a bombardier, and he was on two planes. The first one was Superman. Superman was shot down, and, but everyone survived. His second airplane was called the Green Hornet, and uh, they were in the South Pacific and were shot down by a Japanese fighter plane, and everyone perished in that crash except for Louis and two of his crewmates. And they survived, and 
uh, they got on a raft and they had been floating in the Pacific for 27 days. 27 days with no food or water. And uh, one of his crewmates passed away during that time and they sent him overboard. Louis Zamperini would talk about how that he would imagine and pretend that he was cooking gourmet meals. And they did that to try to stave off any any bad thoughts about starvation and dehydration. They would catch rainwater and try to drink that. They would, uh, if they could lure a bird onto the side of the raft, they would try to catch that bird and then, of course, eat whatever they could raw and eat it alive, and, and same way with any fish that they could catch. Day 33, they were out on the raft, and man, they were, they were strafed by Japanese fighter planes, these two rafts that were tethered together. They jumped out into the water, and uh, as he jumps out into the water, he realizes that the rafts are being circled by tiger sharks. And uh, just an unbelievable story of survival. And he said he was trying to decide, do I want to go by Japanese fighter planes or by sharks? And he tells the story about how he punched two sharks in the eyes as they approached him. And I'm just thinking, man, as I'm, as I'm telling this story, I'm imagining some guy sitting out in the middle of the South Pacific hanging onto this raft and, you know, do, 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 you know, here are these sharks underneath you. It's unbelievable what he went through. Two weeks go by, it's day 47, and they are finally rescued. But the problem is they're rescued by the Japanese. And immediately he was taken to a prison camp and the warden of that camp was Matsuhiro Watanabe, and he was notorious for his harsh treatment, and especially so when they found out who Louis Zamperini was. He knew he was the boy with the fast finish. He knew he was an Olympic athlete. So he challenged him to race one of his guards, and he put Louis Zamperini in the middle of the guard, uh, in the middle of the compound area there, and they had the race. And Louis Zamperini was told by some of his some of his fellow prisoners, you know, you can't win, but you can't lose. And so he didn't know what to do. And so he tried running and he was beating the guy. And Matsuhiro Watanabe, who was known as the bird, a tall, lanky guy, very harsh in his treatment, swung and fractured the ankle, part of the lower part of Louis Zamperini's leg. And of course, he did not win. But man, he was beaten and treated so harshly. Well, finally, you know the story. They uh, the World War II ends, and he's uh, rescued and recovers for an extended period of time. And when he got back to the States, he was treated as a hero, as you can well imagine. By the way, they are heroes. Every one of them who's ever served active duty, whether they served in a time of conflict or not, everybody that's ever served in the military is a hero. My wife and I, we were making a visit yesterday, and a guy rolled past us. Well, he, I, I saw him coming down the hall, and he, had a, uh, he was in a wheelchair, but he had a World War II hat. And I never miss a chance to talk to these guys. And so I walked up to him, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I thanked him for serving. And I asked him, I said, tell me where you served. And he, he was in the Philippines during World War II. And, uh, boy, when you see a veteran, you thank a veteran, always, always. But he said he could travel anywhere he wanted in America, and people would let him eat and drink for free. They knew who he was, knew how he'd been treated, knew how he'd served, you know, and, and, and that's what he did. And he turned to alcoholism and just about ruined and wrecked his life. But his wife was a Christian. And in 1949, four years after the war, the Billy Graham crusade makes its way to Los Angeles, California. And she says, I want to go to the crusade. And he tells her, you go ahead. I'm not going. And, and so, uh, so he, he winds up coming. And he, he, he's so resistant. 
He's in church gripping the back of the chair. It's actually a big tent in Los Angeles, and over, uh, uh, I think, 1,800 people were there. And he's holding onto the chair, not wanting to move. And by the way, have you ever been in a spot in your life where the Holy Spirit convicted so greatly? You knew you needed to move, but you didn't. He left that night. He told his wife, he said, I'm never going back again. But he did go the next night. And the next night, he hit the altar and he got saved. It's an amazing story of God's grace and God's goodness in his life. And uh, he became a somewhat of an evangelist. He traveled uh, around the country and across the world. Uh, wrote a biography called Devil at His Hills. My wife picked me up a copy. I have a copy of it that he personally signed before he passed away. But in 19, uh, 1984, in the Los Angeles Games, he carried the Olympic torch into Louis Zamperini, Zamperini Court there at the Coliseum Stadium. And in 1998, the country of Japan invited him back for the Nagano Games, and he carried the torch for the United States through the streets in Japan and it's a, it's a marvelous story of redemption. But Louis Zamperini would later make the statement, and it's one of the things that, uh, that uh, brings us to the thought in this message and series, is Louis Zamperini said he really wanted to win at what mattered most. He never did win the Olympic medal, but he became an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ because he put spiritual things at the right plane. He passed away, I think, three years ago, maybe it was, well into his 90s, and uh, had an amazing life. But really, a lot of people would look at Louis Zamperini and say, well, he was a hero. Yes, he was. But he would say that he won at what mattered most. And for each and every one of us, it's very important that we choose the right pursuits, the right passions, and we make sure that the things of God, the house of God being tantamount and paramount among them, is at the forefront in all that we do, so that we too are winning at what matters most. You know, as I look back over my life, and I'll, I'll be done here in just a moment, I, you know, there's a lot of things that I wanted to do and, and hope to do, and many of those I have, and many things that I never even thought, my wildest dreams. But really, at the end of my life, I want to make sure that we won at what mattered most. And it's important for us as God's people to pursue those things which are pleasing and honoring to Him. And really right at the height of that is his house, because this, we know, is what matters to him. Shall we stand? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just very, very quickly. Maybe you're here tonight, God's spoken to your heart about something very, very uh, specific. We know that in David's life, spiritual things were what mattered to him. And that should be the case for each and every one of us. Let me ask you this. Nobody with any hands up or anything, but do the things that matter to God matter to you? If I asked you right now, do you know what matters to God? You ought to be able to come up with a pretty good list. I think all of us could. But are those as important to us as they are to Him? Because they should be. Are we pursuing and attempting to become victorious in those areas of life that matter the most to Him. If God's spoken to your heart tonight, would you come? As the piano plays, would you mind the Lord just very, very quickly? Say, God spoke to me about something. There, there's something in my life. I want to make sure my, my pursuits are right. I want to make sure they're holy. I want to make sure they're godly. And I want to win at that which matters most. I'm not worried about success in the eyes of man. 
I don't, doesn't really matter what the world thinks of me. I want to know what God thinks. And I want to live in a way that pleases and honors Him. How many of you know the song she's playing? I have decided to follow Jesus. Can you sing it with me? Let's sing it on the first verse. Here we go. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. On the next one, though no one join me, though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. All right. Thank you so much.